Welcome to the September 2012 episode of the Harvard Medical Labcast, science that's changing your world. This podcast is produced in Boston by Harvard Medical School's Office of Communications and External Relations. I'm David Cameron. Today, I'll chat with a couple that not only runs a household together, but a lab as well. The Sidemans, both professors at Harvard Medical School, have been collaborating for decades to explore the causes of hereditary heart disease. And their skills in this area complement each other perfectly. John Seidman has a PhD in genetics, while Christine Seidman, who goes by Cricket, has an MD with training in cardiology. Cricket also has an appointment at Brigham and Women's Hospital. Here's an excerpt from our conversation. Tell us a little bit about what is it like running a lab together? Well, there's good news and bad news. Okay. Um, the good news is that we see the same problem from very different perspectives. You from the more clinical aspect? I would like to say the more biologic. Most clinicians are scientists, especially those who are invested in discovering causes and mechanisms of disease. But we are biologists uh, by okay. training as compared to people who may have a more um, technologic and, in this day and age, bioinformatic and computer science background, which is enormously powerful to bring to the world of human biology and, in particular, human genetics of human disease. Uh, and that's really where John's strengths are extraordinary. So it's a marriage of disciplines as well as a marriage of... Yes. <laughs> so the good part, we, we like to tell people that between us, we're an MD-PhD. And, <laughs> and as Cricket said, there's good news and bad news, and she just told you the good news. The bad news is sort of the bad news that's associated with parents who recognize that when they're child raising, it's not uncommon for a child to first ask, let's say, the father the answer to this question. And when he says no, the um, child goes to see the mother to ask the question a second time. We may get a completely different answer, and that certainly happens here, too. Can you just tell us a little bit about when the two of you started collaborating together? Like, how did that happen? Well, our scientific collaboration actually has its roots when we were undergraduates in college. We were assigned to be part of a project, a lab experiment in which groups were formed, and we were put in the same group. Uh, and then we did not do any more collaborative science until many years later when we felt it would be prudent to try and apply molecular technologies to the study of cardiovascular diseases. And so we've started collaborating in 1981, or shortly thereafter. And, and then 10 years later, we started our first human genetics experiment, or published our first human genetics experiment, which was to map a gene that was responsible for hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Could, could you, in, in very simple terms, uh, define hypertrophic cardiomyopathy? Sure. Hypertrophic cardiomyopathy is a heart muscle disorder. It is a condition that is not due to coronary artery disease, atherosclerosis, elevated so it's lipids. it's not from bad habits. It's not from bad habits. Okay. It's um, a condition that affects the actual myocytes, which are the cells that populate the heart. And these cells become enlarged, which ultimately means that the mass of the heart is increased. And with it, there are changes in the functional capacity of the heart. As it turns out, for hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, the ability of the heart to contract is actually quite good and may even be better than normal. But the ability of the heart to relax the other part of any cardiac cycle is very profoundly diminished. And that results in symptoms of shortness of breath, 
chest pain that feels just like angina, uh, and exercise intolerance. But associated with this disease and for the non-physicians, the way I became aware of this disease is that every now and then we hear of a young athlete who dies suddenly on the exactly. athletic field. Yeah. And approximately 50% of young athletes who die on the athletic field at autopsy have... And they had this and they never knew a, it. They have a thickening of their heart. They okay. never knew it. And it very frequently can happen only once or twice in a given family. It's not that every family has multiple individuals like that. Of the affected individuals, only a small fraction of them may actually die suddenly on the athletic field. But it's the way that this disease has become recognized by the public, I think. Over the last 10 years, how has our understanding of this condition increased? Quite a bit. So the name that is often append to this condition, the historical name is idiopathic hypertrophic subaortic stenosis. The key word is idiopathic, meaning we don't know what causes it. And by using human genetic techniques, we can now tell you that in individuals who have a family history of this disorder, it is a disease of the sarcomere. So in 25 years, we've moved from an idiopathic condition to a, if you will, label a sarcomere disease. The sarcomere is the contractile apparatus in all muscle cells. There are mutations in these proteins of the sarcomere that are expressed only in the heart that cause hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. How, how many genes are involved in this? The majority of classical manifestations of hypertrophic cardiomyopathy arise from a mutation in one of eight genes. So individuals who have the condition might have mutations in different yes. genes? Very but... much in different genes, but two of the genes predominate. Um, one is called the myosin heavy chain, and that's the molecular motor molecule within the contractile apparatus. And the other is a gene called myosin binding protein C, and that's a molecule that we know much less about, and it actually modulates or tends to alter the capacity of the myosins to forcefully move and slide against other contractile proteins. And what are the chances that children of an affected individual will have the disease? If an affected individual, for example, is a father, they have a 50% chance of passing that mutant gene on to their children. The child has to inherit the mutant allele to be affected. So in a nuclear family, half of the children will be genetically affected, and the other half will be completely unaffected. So one of the powers of gene-based diagnosis is that clinical care can be focused on those individuals who are genetically affected, and they're clearly the ones who need it most. And there are now even interventions that can be considered that will certainly help them. Can you talk a, a little bit about the field of personalized medicine and how that relates to your research? Sure. The kinds of disorders that we have been studied have traditionally been called rare. But as it turns out, many, many disorders that we do see very commonly in the general population, congenital heart disease, which occurs in 1% of all live births, a predilection for having a heart attack, a predilection for neurodegenerative disease as we age. All of these conditions we now know are due to either a few genes that have a major effect or a lot more genes that have a much more minor effect. And our mixture of those genes in our body is our unique personal risk for developing disease. We certainly recognize that by understanding that complexity for each individual should be a great roadmap 
for how we should treat that patient, not when they get disease, but before they do, so that instead of having a reactive response of delivering medications after a pathology is established, that we may be able to use this new knowledge to intervene. Just to add to that, in particularly in hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, one of the things that we've learned from looking at the animal models in mice, for example, that have these mutations, those mice have what are basically small myocardial infarctions very frequently. And when you go back and look at at autopsy and look at their tissue, you see that they have many regions where there's been cell death. So the heart attack involves the death of cells and then basically the formation of scar. Going backwards from that scar is almost impossible. So mm -hmm. that points to the idea that it's important to identify people very early in the process and have them on pharmacologic agents so that they are protected from these small heart attacks and hopefully that will improve all aspects of their cardiovascular health. Well, thank you very much, and very thank well. you for the great work you're doing. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'll leave you with a comment by Elias Zerhouni, who served as the director of the NIH from 2002 to 2008. We are in a revolutionary period of medicine that I call the four Ps. Predictive, personalized, preemptive, and participatory. This requires patient involvement well before disease strikes. As opposed to the doctor-centric, curative model of the past, the future is going to be patient-centric and proactive. It must be based on education and communication. This podcast is a production of Harvard Medical School's Office of Communications and External Relations, and we'd love to hear your comments on this program. Tell us what you think and see what other people are saying at hms.harvard.edu slash podcasts. To learn more about Harvard Medical School, its academic and research programs, and its affiliated hospitals and research institutes, visit hms.harvard.edu.